0: Welcome to Fish Talk Hunt Radio with John Hennigan, where we're going to cast and blast you right out of this world with some of the best hunting and fishing stories that you can't even imagine. This is John Hennigan, and we have our
1: host, Frank Selby. I'm well, right here with you. Yeah, this is our holiday special. And today, we're going to be talking about what we can do uh, in conservation. Uh, is, you know, something that we do have control over. We're not going to go deep into it, but you know, the the planet has gone through many cycles of climate change, um, and we have some control over that, obviously. But uh, you know, the waters that cover the planet. You know, is something we do have control over, and it's critical. We're going to be talking to um Who do, who do we have, Mark?
2: Well, our first guest is going to be Jim Cox, Western Rivers Conservancy. Oh, yeah, remember? what yeah. a
1: great operation. Um, and then uh, after that is... is uh,
2: well, we got a fellow named Guido Rahr from the Wild Salmon Center protecting oh, salmon up yeah. and down the the West Coast, Alaska, yeah. even into Russia. Check it out.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's, and the uh, last guest is you know. California boy.
2: That's right, Harry Morse with the California Department of Fish and Game. He's going to talk yeah. about elk and wild boar and a bunch of other stuff.
1: All right. I'm It'll be a great show. And uh, we It'll want be everybody to get excited. Obviously, it's the holidays, and we really appreciate people tuning in. And uh, you know, let's see if we can learn a little bit about what we can do in conservation. Our, in uh, Frank, I uh, appreciate you hanging in there on this holiday weekend. So we'll be uh, we'll be right back with you.
2: Well, we still got a little, yeah. little ways to go. We're heading into uh, 2021, guys. I mean, this is our kind of our, our New Year's Day show in a way, New Year's weekend anyway.
1: Yeah, we're going to have a great New Year's. This is our New Year's show. I hope you all are out there and going to enjoy all about conservation. And John has picked a couple of great guys and I have picked a person. So I think you'll really love our show this week. And John, what do you have to say? Right. Uh, we're we're having yeah. in the show. Just pay attention and. Let's see what we can
2: do to help things out. All right. That's a good
1: idea. And we have probably two of the best conservationists around the United States, in my opinion. And I won't say their names or they'll both beat me up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, let's go ahead and take our break. This is Fish Hunt Talk Radio. John Hennigan, Frank Selby, and we will be right back. Stay there.
0: Welcome back to Fish Talk Hunt Radio with John Hennigan.
1: This is John Hennigan. I know you have Frank, our host. Um, And, Frank, I don't think you know. You've talked to him on the phone. But uh, Jim Cox, not only is he a great guy, he's a great humanitarian. And I would like (laughs) Frank to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about what he does or what they do excuse me well thank you john it's great to be back on the
6: show i'm hello frank how you doing i'm doing good super. Well, I'm with an organization called Western Rivers Conservancy. And we've been around for more than 30 years and we do conservation work, specifically river conservation work through land acquisitions. So what we do is we buy properties from willing sellers. It can be individuals, it can be ranching families, timber companies, etc. And we take those properties uh, to protect outstanding river systems. Uh, and most of the Those properties, of course, are private, and then once we purchase them, many of those properties uh, go into public hands, so they are opened up for public access. So we do have worked with the BLM, the Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, to create uh, hunter and fishing access, bony access, hiking access. I'm an avid fly fisherman myself, so I first got involved with the organization uh, just as a donor uh, when I found. Them out on westernrivers.org and certain fly fishing magazines. When I read about these wonderful properties that they were buying on rivers that I either was fly fishing on or wished I was fly fishing on, and so well, that's that's I what we do. do. And uh, you know, we right now we've been working quite a bit in uh, the state of Oregon, my home state, on the John Day River, the second longest free flowing river in the West, where we've bought oh, several ranch properties river. and opened up you know more than twenty miles. Of of river access on the John Day, which previously was not available.
1: Yeah, uh, just real quick. Um, what what I would like to say is that uh, John and his crew, uh, they're definitely conservationists, but the difference is, is they don't. Uh, you know, they're not conservationists in the sense that they want to take property away. Uh, right, conservationists. In a sense, they want to open up uh, the, the rivers and the wild areas so people can use it. That's the big difference. That, and that's exactly right. I
6: mean, we our, our philosophy is is that people should be able to go out and enjoy these wonderful rivers that we have out in the Western United States. And we kind of work the Rocky Mountain areas through the uh, to the Pacific Northwest. And uh, you know, again, if people want to see our range of projects, we've worked on over 160 different rivers and streams. Uh, they can go to WesternRivers.org. We've got a field guide. Uh, you know, it's it, it's pretty amazing. And that, and that that was why. I, as an individual, got uh, involved with the organization before I even went to work with them. Is that, you know, we know that public access is a big deal, and, you know, more and more we're seeing less and less of it. And so, what we can do if we can buy, you know, properties which not only enhance the river for fish and wildlife, but also give people an opportunity, an extra opportunity to be able to go and enjoy it in the many ways that, you know, we, I love to fish, but there are people that like kayaking and, and hunting and all. Kinds of different uh, access on rivers. That's what we try to do.
1: Yeah. Uh, you have bike, uh, they can go bicycle riding, they can camp on some of them. The, that's it's right. Matter of fact, one of the rivers is the Sandy River there.
6: in Oregon. We, uh, with a BLM piece that we did, uh, has one of the best uh, mountain biking trails uh, in the uh, United States near Mount Hood. So, yeah, there's uh, all kinds of rec- recreational
1: uh, access that you can do. That's my favorite place to fish. On the Sandy River? On the Sandy and the Salmon. I got my biggest king on the salmon. Yep, yep, and the sandy is one of those my it's
6: it is my home water for uh winter steelheading. heading. That's in matter of fact it's you know, minutes from my
1: house, which is a great thing. I, uh, I go to Welch's and Zigzag almost every year to see Mark Bachman at his fly shop. You yeah, the
6: fly shop right there? Yep. Love those guys. They're, I, they're great. Matter of fact, I usually stop there on my way to uh, fishing the Deschutes River and pick up a few flies and goodies
1: on my way over. Yeah. I, and, uh, the one big question I needed to ask you, Anybody like the big companies can donate to you to help buy land. And if it was, say, like Coca-Cola or some body like that, are there a certain place that they can call and make their donations? And even a small donation helps. Absolutely. Every bit counts. And, you know, there's, there's a couple ways you can
6: do it. You can go to westernrivers.org. That's our website. And in the upper right-hand corner, there's a contribute button. It's really easy. It's safe and secure. You can call our office at 503-241-0151. We're happy to take a donation over the phone. But yeah, this, that, that's how this happens. It's, you know, it, it's people like you and me that care about uh, river access and river conservation that makes this work happen and uh that's that's you know that's my main job i'm the director of donor relations so i help people uh, feel good about uh, opening their wallets and making this work possible
1: yeah and right now we need all the open spaces we can get to go fishing or just camping and be way away from everybody else Absolutely. Hey, John, and, you know, I, I, John, on
6: our website, sorry, we, our website, uh, we have a field guide where you can go or uh, go to our Rivers of the Month, and it has information on how you can access these rivers. We've got, you know, past past information with links to hiking and fishing and camping options.
1: So it's it's a really great resource. Hey, John, you had a question to ask. You. John, real quickly, uh, it seems to me that you were – uh, very directly involved in some recent legislation uh that opened up funding um, by the uh, uh by the government uh, yeah, well, we, you know, we can't take personal
6: credit, but the great news is is that both the Senate and the House overwhelmingly, bipartisan-wise, passed the Great Outdoors Act, which will provide money not only for the uh, renewal of, of you know, our national parks that need some money put into them for infrastructure, but also the projects that we do. Many of the projects that we do uh, get money from what's called the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which is part of this legislation which was mitigation funds from uh, primarily oil and gas drilling in the Gulf Coast in order to buy properties for their conservation and for recreational access. And so that was passed overwhelmingly. The president has promised to sign that bill uh, within the next week or so. It, it's it's a major piece of legislation, over $900 million a year uh, appropriated for uh, our national parks and for new properties in which we will benefit from that as Western Rivers Conservancy. So we're very excited about this.
1: Yeah, tell our <laughs> president I thank him for it. <laughs> we will do. <laughs> and uh, Trump does a lot of good things. He does a few bad things, but I'm voting for him again.
6: <laughs> well, we're happy about this legislation. We're uh, it, It's going to be a major coup for uh, for our uh, national parks and just for the type of work that we're doing. <laughs>
1: Well, you guys are are great. You guys work hard. You're making more land for people to go out and have fun on. When for a while it was shrinking five times faster than we were getting new land to be able to fish and hunt and party on, go camping, go bike riding. Oh, Oh, I just want to say that you know conservation is important. There's no question about that. Uh, But what John and his group are doing, it's not a matter of taking the property uh, to use for themselves uh, and go fly fishing or whatever it is. It's a matter of utilizing that property uh, and opening it up. Instead of closing it off, opening
2: it up. Wow, that's that's really true, John. We've been talking with Jim Cox from Western Rivers Conservancy. They will accept your donation, believe me. Just go to westernrivers.org. That's westernrivers.org. Thank you so much, Jim, for being on the show. We're coming back with Joel Klein. Stay with us. <laughs>
4: and fisherwomen. From 5 to 12-year-old boys and girls to teenagers and adults. Join the Unreal Fish Sales Fresh and Saltwater Fishing Club to get an amazing 50% discount on all Unreal rods and reels, 40% discount on all apparel, and 30% discount on all Unreal mounts. This monthly Fresh and Saltwater Video Contest has a cash prize up to $2,500. Members who join our Unreal Fish Fishtails Club anytime this holiday season will receive a free Unreal Fish Fishtails shirt
5: FFI certified international fly fishing instructor and guide service with Frank Selby. Listen to Frank as host of FishHuntTalkRadio.com or listen live Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Sirius XM Radio Channel 211. Custom flies are handmade to to your order in house in Newport Beach. Fishing in Mexico, Belize, Florida or the Rockies, Frank and the staff will deliver exactly what
3: you need. Flies and gear. Google his and her fly fishing. It's time for you to take a real fun adventure. Join a
0: Welcome back to Fish Talk Hunt Radio with John Hennigan. This is John Hennigan and our host,
1: Frank Selby. And we have a special guest that's going to be very interesting, a couple of different subjects. And uh, Guido is going to be joining us. And, um, well, you're going to find out what we're going to talk about. But it has to do with salmon, and he's big on um, conserving and protecting and, and promulgating. So, Guido, could you give us a little bit of an idea about, you know, know, what what you're about, what you do? So, I'm a
7: fisherman. (laughs) You know, I fish (laughs) with flies, and I do a lot of salmon fishing. And I grew up in Oregon uh, fishing for salmon and steelhead and trout. You know, I grew up with a family of fishermen, and I became very passionate about that. I'm a fly tire, and, um, you know, I learned something. Uh, As I grew up from my family and my father who fished and my grandfather, which is um, with the gift, you know, or with the honor uh, that comes with fishing and catching fish comes an obligation, right? To help protect the places that you love. So that's a a theme in my family and our family. And so I do a lot of fishing. And when I'm not fishing, I'm working to help protect those rivers. Uh, Before they get messed up, because, you know, all fishermen and hunters know this. I know both of you guys know it. We've got to hand these places off to our kids, and that's what I do. Mm
1: -hmm. And give us an idea about what that is that you do.
7: So uh, I run an organization called the Wild Salmon Center, and it's focused around one simple idea, and that is we're protecting the last, best salmon and steelhead rivers across the Pacific Rim. So we're working in the Russian Far East to protect the big, wild salmon and Taman rivers in Russia. We're working in Alaska to help protect Bristol Bay. We're working in British Columbia to protect the best salmon rivers in British Columbia, rivers like the Skeena and the Dean. And we're in Oregon and Washington State, where the best salmon rivers left are on the Oregon coast. And what we decided to do is not focus on protecting the most threatened ones. We're finding the ones that are in the best shape today because the cost of preventing them from being damaged by building dams or cutting all the trees down or building gold mines. It's easier to prevent those things from happening than it is to try to get rid of them once they're in there. So we're taking a long view. We're going into these systems, we're protecting them, so nobody can ever mess them up. Taking kind of a multi-decadal view. And I will say, if if I just add something to that, the problem with salmon rivers and steelhead rivers is they're just disappearing. Uh, most of the salmon and steelhead populations south of Canada, where I live in the Pacific Northwest, are on the endangered species list. And the same thing's happening on the, Russia, on the Asian side and the Russian side. And the declines are working their way north, where, where salmon runs are collapsing because of overfishing, because of habitat loss, dam building, mining, etc. And so we're, we're got to do something about it, or we're going to lose this beautiful fish.
1: Well, it wasn't too long ago in Oregon. We almost lost all the kings, and a lot of people on Mount Hood started putting in fish boxes with the salmon eggs and the uh, individuals. Were you one of them back in the day?
7: No, we were one of the ones that listed the salmon in the, under the Endangered Species Act, and if that hadn't happened, they'd be gone by now. The problem is you can't build hatcheries to replace the wild fish. We have hatcheries nope. all over the place and so many hatchery born fish that it's putting, creating problems for the wild fish. So we got to have some rivers that have just wild fish in them. And so that's one of the things we're working on so that, you know, Washington state's got hatcheries everywhere. We need to have uh, rivers that are for wild fish. And I, yep. I, I've been, I caught a couple of beautiful ones just the
1: other day. So they're there. Yeah, I I love to fish the wild ones. Like, if somebody would have thought of this 40 years ago, we would have had a lot of salmon on the East Coast. There's no wild salmon, in my opinion, left on the East Coast. Well, real quickly, uh, Frank, the Atlantic salmon is a species, um, but like 95 or there's no commercial fishing for Atlantic salmon, because they're almost gone. And most all of the Atlantic salmon now are farm-raised. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I really wanted to get into was pebble mining. You got something to talk about with that? Oh, yeah, I do. Let's I do. go I know, for it.
7: I guess my message is uh I'm going to tell you about pebble. Everyone who's ever put their ever waded into a stream with a fishing rod in their hands needs to know about this one. So the biggest stronghold for wild salmon anywhere in the world is Bristol Bay, Alaska. The Nishigak, the Plejagak, the rivers that flow into Bristol Bay, Alaska, which is the western part of Alaska, just north of the Panhandle. There's so many salmon that come in there. some years, they have over 60 million salmon arrive. You can see the salmon runs from the airplane flying overhead. There's no migration anywhere in the world like it. There's no rivers that produce more salmon than the rivers of Bristol Bay. The problem is a Canadian mining company has discovered gold and copper in the headwaters of Bristol Bay and is trying to build what will be one of the biggest mines in North America, the mine for copper and gold. Well, the problem is all the tailings, the, 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 the extra rock from that process gets stored. On the site behind a big earthen tailings dam that'll be uh, 600, you know, it'll be something like 10 billion gallons of toxic waste will be stored behind that dam upstream from the salmon run. And so the pollution that can happen will never go away. That junk and that toxic mess will be there in geologic time forever. So the Canadian company will make a lot of money and then leave us a mess. And we're very much, we're not against mining, but we're really against mining in that river. And so we're trying to stop this Canadian company from building this horrible t- copper mine. Uh, and it's been a real battle. Ten years we've been trying to get this thing killed.
1: We are making
7: a little progress, aren't we? Yeah, we've made some important progress, actually. And uh, Senator Murkowski from Alaska has finally come out and said she's opposed to the mine and wants to end it. We've had the Army Corps of Engineers has not given it a permit yet to move ahead. We got people who are, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you know, this is a bad mine. You got Johnny Morris from Basco and Cabela's standing up and all kinds of people saying, this is the wrong mine in the wrong place. And now finally we got this Senate delegation from Alaska. So we're trying to get them to move ahead and save this place.
1: Yeah, because if we don't, we're going to lose 90% of our wild salmon.
7: We'll lose not 90% of the world's salmon. You'll just lose well most of the world's soccer, but you'll lose the most important place on the planet Earth for wild salmon, which is on our land as Americans. And, you know, we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year down in Oregon and Washington and California trying to restore the salmon hundreds of millions of dollars a year trying to restore the salmon, while at the same time we're going to let a Canadian company make a mess out of Bristol Bay, so then they can make us, it it makes no sense at all. So if you care about this stuff, I'll I'll just say two things. One is, look, I was taught raising up these, you know, my grandfather said to me, you go out in the world and do what you got to do. But when somebody messes with your home waters, the rivers that you love, or the lakes that you love, When someone messes with your home waters, you got to fight for them. That comes with the deal. You get to fish, you get to hunt, but you got to come back and fight for the places that you love. And I believe in that. And that's that's what we're doing. So all you that are listening, come back home at the end of your what you do and fight for the places that you love. And some of those places might be the places that we're trying to protect. So if you can get online and go to wildsalmoncenter dot org. And Google our website, you'll know about the pebble mine issue. And there's a book that's come out called Stronghold by Tucker Malarkey called Stronghold. And in that book, it talks about what we're doing. And it also talks about we found some rivers. This is on a different subject, but we found some rivers in Russia that have these giant trout that are called caiman. And they get to be up to 100 pounds in size. And these trout feed on adult salmon. And so Tucker writes about the quest for the giant salmon in, in Russia. So if you want a great read, and you can also get it on tape, uh, go to the website Wild Salmon Center, and then get get the book. Uh, you can also get it from Amazon uh, called Stronghold, and it's a great read for anyone that likes to fish.
1: Yeah, and there are uh, tell them how to send a donation to help you guys.
7: Hey, if if you want to help us out, we could always use the help, and if you just want to know what we do, do that too. But just go on the website, www.wildsalmoncenter.org. And there's enough fish pictures on there and river pictures to make you uh, want to go fishing <laughs> and want to head out yeah. there.
1: You got one question for him,
2: Mark? Yeah, I'm right here on the on the website right now, the Wild Salmon Center website. And uh, first of all, you're right. It is a beautiful, beautiful website with all these incredible images And uh, tell me again how we can get this Stronghold book. Is that on your website or Amazon?
7: It's just go on Amazon, uh, and it's called Stronghold. It's by Tucker Malarkey, and it tells the stories inside some of these places, including the hunt for the giant payment. And uh, people love this book. Uh, So it's it's called Stronghold, and you can get it on Amazon. Stronghold by Tucker Malarkey, M-A-L-A-R-K-U-Y.
2: And we've got uh, WildSalmonCenter.org, and there's a little tab here that you can click on and, and donate. It seemed like a pretty simple thing and a, a good thing to support this organization, WildSalmonCenter.org.
7: Hey, we could use the help. Yeah. And thank you for saying yeah. that. I appreciate it.
1: <sighs> well. Wow. And then your your contact information is, uh go to the same place? Yes. Yeah. And I I want to thank Mom for having me call you and come having you on here. We need all the help we can get us in our salmon. This thing about pebbles is completely new to me. So what's happening is that, you know, the little tiny pieces of gold, they go down into the gravel.
2: Okay, okay, guys, we're going to have to leave it there for now. Obviously, get to that website, wildsalmoncenter.org, find out what's going on. This is Fish Hunt Talk Radio. a everywhere.
5: All oh right.
0: welcome back to fish talk hunt radio with John Henneken this is John Henneken and of
1: course our host Frank Selby and we have a guest coming on that I'm very anxious to talk to very very interesting what he does and uh, Harry why don't I let you uh, tell us what because I'm still a little confused sometimes about uh, okay you know, you've got you get a yeah. you get a, a real government job but that's not really your passion, but go go ahead and tell us.
8: Okay, I work for the Department of Fish and Wildlife as a public information officer under a classification called retired annuitants. So you come back for about six months out of the year, work, and then you have the rest of the year that they don't have hours or anything for you. And so what I do is I have a second residence in Idaho, and that's where I'm at right now and just completed a deer hunt. so. It's good to talk to you. Yeah.
1: Do I get a couple of steaks?
8: Uh, it's a long airmail express, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Well, it might I be worth it, Frank, But
1: I know it. you've got a lot I of friends. I do it. Anyway uh you probably do more in six months in conservation than most of us do in a lifetime.
8: Well, I work at it and have a good time. It's become a real uh, vocation and avocation is something I really enjoy.
1: Yeah. It's uh, so You don't work. You're just what, having a good what, what time. What is your goal? What do you aim for? You,
0: <laughs> you guys well, are talking over each you know, other. Go ahead, Harry.
8: Yeah, one of the things that's really fun to look at in California, though, is it's one of the only states that has three different types of elk. The, elk, which is found nowhere else, Roosevelt, and the Rocky Mountains. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we were going to talk a little bit about elk and a little bit about other things, like wild pigs. and Gee, there's uh, lots of interesting stuff going on there in California,
1: too. And, uh, well, elk is, you know, is is probably number one on most hunters' uh, wish list. But they're not easy to hit. They're not easy to find or to take down.
8: Yeah, California is kind of a unique situation in that we only issued last year two hundred and eighty-one elk tags, and that we have a total elk herd of about twelve thousand five hundred elk. So it's a very small, small harvest. Now you go to a state like Colorado, where They have upwards of 200,000 available tags, and they've got over, you know, 200,000 elk. But the success ratio in Colorado, you know, ranges from 10 to 25 percent. So what it says is that getting an elk is a real special occasion. Whether you're in California and lucky enough to draw one of the few tags or you go to a state Colorado has the most elk in the western United States, or you end up in Montana. But those are kind of the, the two top states for the elk hunters.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, even if you get it to tag, that doesn't guarantee anything.
8: Not in California and not anywhere else. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
1: you got to do a lot of mile walking, John. You never do 10 or 15 miles a day.
8: Well, what you find out is you better take a little time and get into shape if you're going to hunt elk in the in the Rocky Mountain West or if you're going to hunt them. You know, even we've got some tule elk draws that are up in the Sacramento Valley in the foothills, and those guys that do draw those tags, they walk miles and miles to get a crack on an elk. So it's a unique species, and, uh,
1: boy, they are delicious eating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, you know it's you know it's, it's hard to get because even somebody that hunts elk uh, there's a lot of meat on it, but everybody has a lot of friends all of a sudden.
8: <laughs> I want to tell you, when I shoot an elk, I have more friends pop out of the woodwork than I've ever known. It's... Yeah. <laughs> Harry, <my friend. laughs> yeah, yeah, Harry, my friend. Yeah, Harry, my friend. Who it are you? Yeah. Great, you know. So yeah, it's a it's a very special hunt and. Most all the western states are starting their elk hunts the middle of October through, you know, the beginning of November. So we're right in the beginning, and uh, there's people heading to Colorado, to Idaho, to Montana. It's uh, right now, everybody's getting really excited, and the first big winter cold snap's coming in. It's going to be down around zero tomorrow, and that will get the hunters moving and the elk moving. Uh huh. Hard to well, believe. Either, you, when, it when there's snow on the ground, <laughs> are they easy to
1: track? <laughs>
8: uh huh.
1: Say that I'm sorry, again, What did you say? But I said yeah, that there's said, snow on the ground. Does that make it easier?
8: Yeah, it really does because you can see the tracks, and what happens is when the animals are in amongst the trees, their natural brown color isn't as. Camouflage as it has been because you've got white snow on the ground. So you pick up these movements and you also pick up the color. So snow is always very well welcomed by elk hunters.
1: Yeah, the only trouble is you better be very careful because a lot of times you can get turned around when you're elk hunting. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know I, well, We said we were going to talk about wild boar. And if you don't mind, I'd like to switch over to that. You now, m- my understanding is that the uh, Western United States is overrun with wild pigs, and there's a, there, a, a domestic pig uh, can go feral and it becomes a wild pig. But the wild pigs are kind of a different breed, aren't they? With uh, Hungarian pigs and uh, some of the other ones that you know have the tusks and the, the hair and stuff. So, can you just give a well, quick idea about? But what a a wild boar as opposed to a domestic?
8: Okay, so I mean, the settlers started releasing domestic pigs in the 1700s with Franciscan. And so you had wild, you know, pigs that were domesticated but released out into the oak woodlands to feed, and then they'd go out and round them up. So some of those wandered off. And then about 1920, European wild boars were introduced into Monterey County by. An individual who wanted to see a change in the dynamics of the genetics, so they get those big and things, and so that's been going on now for you know almost a hundred years with those European wild boars breeding with the pigs that we have in California, and you'll see it when you shoot a really nice big one with the European mixture. They're black. They've got a mane on them. They've got nice tusks, and you, when you shoot one that's less wild european strain and more of the domestic strain it'll be shorter and fatter and but they can really run so you know there are a lot of pigs california estimates between two hundred and three hundred thousand and pigs in california wow. that's a lot of pigs in the wow.
1: woods and so, you know the other thing is you want to be careful because those pigs are mean and if you you know you got one running at you and you shoot in the forehead, the bullet will bounce off.
8: Well, it just depends on how big your bullet is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I
1: I was thinking the same thing. But the the Russian boar that uh, Hearst put in, they have a much stockier front than most uh, domesticated pigs.
8: Absolutely, and they'll average you know, between 185 and 250, and a lot of the ones with the domestic strain that are really in the wild, because making a living in the wild is not easy. Those boars will be in the 150 to 180 pound class, and the sows in the 70 to 100 pound class. But you mix in that European, Russian wild boar stuff, and they do get much bigger. The genetics are tougher. So yeah, there's a you know, real concern when you're in the woods. Uh, you know, you you try to avoid you know confrontations at all costs. That's the main thing.
1: Well, I got I got a couple of questions, and we're going to get into where to where to hunt pigs in a minute. But uh, how do you bring them down? Um, if he's running at you, you don't have much choice. But uh, preferably, <laughs> uh, what's the best way to to bring them down?
8: Well, what you're trying to do is. About 10% of the pigs in California are hunted with packs of dogs, and they circle the pig up, and you move in, you make sure the dogs are out of the way, and then you shoot the pig right behind the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, make, you always are very careful with the dogs. Now, that's 10%. The other 90% are people that are on the ground stalking, doing whatever it is. Maybe your deer hunting, you come across a wild pig, where you try to take and make that same vital shot, Right behind the the shoulder, about midway or a, of a about a third of way up from the bottom of the chest, and that puts it in yeah. the heart lung uh area, and that's that's the way that you want to shoot those pigs so that way they go down and stay down
1: yeah yeah, yeah, usually up in the adelaide, we used to hunt them around the springs while they were walk. Wallowing in the mud, yeah. Well, I guess uh, yeah, and then we have to
8: clean one and, of those and, things. It's the biggest mess of the
1: world. <laughs> I know. I've done it. Last one I got was two twenty-five field dress and uh, the cape off. Wow. Hey
2: Harry, what and is the? That was driving
1: directly behind Hearst Castle property.
2: What's the mm-hmm. website there, Harry, where people can find out about your organization?
8: Okay, so it's the California Department of Fish and Wildlife and you just put into your Google search engine, it'll prop right up, you know, and if you're looking for pigs and elk and information, go into it'll say hunting and then it'll bring up a selection of the different types of animals and like on pigs you click on that one and it takes you over and I was just reviewing this. You know, we've got the statistics on how many are harvested each year, what county and then they have another click that'll take you to a brochure on
2: how to hunt. Okay, well hang on, hang on, let's let's keep carry on for a little bit here and we're gonna get that clarified. This is Fish Hunt Talk Radio. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to Fish Talk Hunt Radio with John Hennigan. Yes, this is John Hennigan, and we have a, kind of a quick story about our host, Frank
1: Selby. Uh, he was just out fishing today, actually, and I didn't really get a chance to talk to him about it. But, Frank, you want to tell us a little bit about your uh, kind of exciting experience today? Yeah, yeah this, uh, somebody just emailed me about steelhead off of the beach. And my client hooked a little four-pound steelhead. We released wow. it right away. Uh, it was a female. It's a winter steelhead that spawns in one of our local little streams along the California coast. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. And I, I'm so glad to see... They're still coming in. We don't have a lot of pairs, but we have about 12 in one stream, and I won't mention any of the streams we've got. <laughs> <right. But> that, <laughs> hey, yeah, fact, you can tell uh, me Steelhead re- are very protected. Uh, give us a quick idea what's the difference between a steelhead and a rainbow trout? One goes out to the ocean and comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after so, over 18 inches, they call a minority and a steelhead. Right. Right, and they are, I, oh, yeah. I don't they're forget what you teach me. Okay, <laughs> well, if you have if you have a pond full of rainbow trout, given the opportunity, some of them will go to the ocean and come back, and by definition, they're now steelhead. That's right, and we got you know we talked about this show about conservation. Let's. Uh, Let's really get. You know, there are some things that we have very little control over. Now, the the climate and such, uh, we have some control, and there's something new. But our waters are something that we definitely have control over, and they definitely need our help. And there's a lot of different reasons for it. But you know, the biodiversity in the in the ocean, you know, that's what uh, supports the world. In Japan, time they used to have a great fishery, but you get overfished. And things are different today. And we we'll just pay very close attention, and let's see if we can bring things back the way we were 100 years ago. Hopefully we can. You never know, but at least if we try, we'll get some of it back. Right, John? There you go. And there's some people that we talked to today that are doing a tremendous job on uh, making that happen because it's, yeah. uh, there's there's different things that you don't even think about that people eat it ends up in the ocean it has a big effect on the uh on the marine uh, aquaculture and there's you know there's a lot we can do, but we do have control over uh, the, our water system, and that's something that we have to pay very close attention to. I agree one hundred percent and the best thing, it's a new year. If everybody just tries to do one little thing for the environment, it would be really, really appreciated. Well, Frank, I honestly believe that the true conservationists in this world primarily are the fishermen and the hunters. You know, they're not there to take things. They're mostly there to protect things. That's true. And our money goes for a lot of conservation, ever in the yeah, and uh, so everybody has the opportunity to, to help in some way, and it's just picking up trash. You got it.
2: John, you said that many times that the hunters and the fishermen are the true conservationists, and that's the truth, isn't
1: it? Oh yeah, yeah. They, you know they, they they want to protect it, and you know they don't go around killing things for the sake of killing them. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of bounty out there you can fill your freezer with, but if it's done responsibly, it does not degrade the the uh, uh, the environment or the species. It actually a lot of times um, increases it.
2: Well, guys, you know what? We're going to have to wrap up this segment, and we're going to wrap up 2020. Thank goodness! And looking forward to 2021. We want to thank all of the guests that's been on the on the show with us this past year, uh, John and Frank. I want to thank you two fellows for putting these shows together. You are geniuses, and uh, let's just keep keep it going. What do you say, guys?
1: Mark, I you appreciate it. so much what you do, and of course, Frank's the hero. He
2: is the hero. All right, this is Fish on Talk Radio. You folks take care.